0: Seventy-eight, The Revel A coalition has been formed among scholar radiance. Our goal is to deny the enemy their supply of void light. This will prevent their continuing transformations and give us an edge in combat. From Drawer 3020, Second Emerald Vale had exposed herself. That nagged at her as the wagon, filled with spoils from the robbery, rolled toward the appointed meeting place with the cult. She nestled in the back, against a bag of grain, feet up on a paper-wrapped haunch of cured pork. Swift's Bren was Vale, as she was the one who had been seen distributing the food. Therefore, to enter this revel, she would have to go as herself. The enemy knew what she looked like, Should she have created a new persona, a false face, to not expose Vale? But Vale is a false face, a part of her said. You could always abandon her. She strangled that part of her, smothered it deep. Vale was too real, too vital to abandon. Shallan would be easier. First moon was up by the time they reached the steps to the Oathgate platform. Vatha rolled the wagon into place and Vale hopped off, coat rippling around her. Two guards here were dressed as flame spren, with golden and red tassels. Their muscular builds and those two spears set near the steps hinted these men might have been soldiers before joining the cult. A woman bustled between them, wearing a flat white mask with eye holes, but no mouth or other features. Vale narrowed her eyes. The mask reminded her of Iyatil, Moraes' master in the ghost bloods, but it was a very different shape. You were told to come alone, Swiftspren," the woman said. You expected me to unload all of this on my own? Vale waved to the back of the wagon. We can handle it, the woman said smoothly, stepping over as one of the guards held up a torch, not a sphere lamp, and the other lowered the wagon's tailgate. Hmm... Vale turned sharply. That hum. The guards started unloading the food. You can take all but the two bags marked with red, Vale said, pointing. I need those for my rounds visiting the poor. I wasn't aware this was a negotiation, the cultist said. You asked for this. You've been leaving whispers through the city that you want to join the revel. Wits work, apparently. She'd have to thank him. Why are you here? The cultist asked, sounding curious. What is it you want, Swift Spren, so-called hero of the markets? I just keep hearing this voice. It says that this is the end, that I should give in to it, embrace the time of Spren. She turned toward the Oathgate platform. An orange glow was rising from the top. The answers are up there, aren't they? From the corner of her eye, she saw the three nod to one another. She'd passed some kind of test. You may climb the steps to enlightenment, the cultist in white told her. Your guide will meet you at the top. She tossed her hat to Vatha and met his eyes. Once the unloading was through, he'd pull away and set up a few streets farther off where he could watch the edge of the Oathgate platform. If she had trouble, she would throw herself off, counting on stormlight to heal her after falling. She started up the steps.
1: Kaladin normally liked the feeling of the city after a storm, clean and fresh, washed up grime and refuse. He'd done evening patrol, checking over their beat to see everything was all right following the storm. Now he stood on top of the wall, waiting for the rest of his squad, who were still stowing their equipment. The sun had barely set, and it was time for dinner. Below, he picked out buildings newly scarred from lightning strikes. A pot of corrupted windspren danced past, trailing intense red light. Even the smell of the air was wrong somehow, moldy and sodden. Sill sat quietly on his shoulder until Beard and the others piled into the stairwell. He finally joined them, walking down below to the barrack where both platoons, his and the one they shared the space with, were gathering for dinner. Roughly twenty of the men from the other platoon would be on wall duty tonight, but everyone else was present. Not long after Kaladin arrived, the two platoon captains called their men to muster. Kaladin fell into line between Beard and Bed, and together they saluted as Azure stepped into the doorway. She was arrayed for battle, as always, with her breastplate, chain, and cloak. Tonight, she decided to do a formal inspection. Kaladin held attention with the others as she walked down their lines and commented quietly to the two captains. She looked over a few swords and asked several of the men if they needed anything. Kaladin felt as if he'd stood in similar lines a hundred times, sweating and hoping that the general would find everything in order. They always did— This wasn't the type of inspection that was intended to actually find problems. This was a chance for the men to show off for their High Marshal. They swelled as she told them they just might be the finest platoons of fighting men I have ever had the privilege of leading. Kaladin was certain he'd heard those exact words from Amaram. Trite or not, the words inspired the men. They gave the High Marshal shots of approval once they were given leave to break ranks. Perhaps the number of Finest platoons in the army went up during times of war, when everyone craved a morale boost. Kaladin walked to the officer's table. It hadn't taken much work to get himself invited to dine with the High Marshal. Noro really wanted him promoted to lieutenant, and most of the others were too intimidated by Azure to sit at her table. The High Marshal hung her cloak and strange sword on a peg. She kept her gloves on, and though he couldn't see her chest because of the breastplate, that face and build were obviously female. She was also very Alethi, with the skin tone and hair, her eyes a glimmering light orange. She must have spent time as a mercenary out west, Calavan thought. Sigzel had once told him that women fought in the west, particularly among mercenaries. The meal was simple curried grain— Caledon took a bite, well acquainted by now with the aftertaste of soul-cast grain. A lingering staleness. The curry helped, but the cooks had used the boiled-off starch of the grain to thicken it, so it had some of the same flavor. He'd been placed relatively far from the center of the table, where Azure conversed with the two platoon captains. Eventually, one excused himself to use the privy. Caledon thought for a moment— then picked up his plate and moved down the table to settle into the open spot.
0: Vale reached the top of the platform, entering what felt like a little village. The monastery structures here were much smaller, yet far nicer than the ones on the shattered plains had been. A cluster of fine stonework structures with slanted wedge-shaped roofs, the points toward the origin Ornamental shale bark grew around the bases of most of the buildings, cultivated and carved into swirling patterns. Vale took a memory for Shallan, but her focus was on the firelight coming from farther inward. She couldn't see the control building. All of these other structures were in the way. She could see the palace off to her left, glowing in the night with windows lit. It connected to the Oathgate platform by a covered walkway called the Sunwalk, a small group of soldiers, visible in the darkness only as shadows, guarded the way across. Close to her, at the top of the steps, a rotund man sat along a shale bark ridge. He had short hair and light green eyes, and gave her an affable grin. Welcome, I'm your guide tonight, for your first time at the revel. It can be, ah, uh, disorienting. Those are ardent robes. Vale noted, ripped, stained from what appeared to be a variety of foods. Everyone who comes up here, he said, hopping off his seat, is reborn. Your name is now, um, he pulled a piece of paper from his pocket. Where did I write that? Well, suppose it isn't important. Your name is Kishi. Doesn't that sound nice? Good job getting up here. This is where you'll find the real fun in the city. He shoved his hands back in his pockets and looked down one of the roadways. Then his shoulders slumped. Anyway, he said, let's get going. Lots of reveling to do tonight. Always so much reveling to be done. And you are. Me? Oh, um, Harat is what they named me. I think? I forget. He ambled forward without waiting to see if she followed. She did, eager to get to the center. However, just past the first building, she reached the revel and had to stop to take it in. A bonfire burned right on the ground, flames crackling and whipping in the wind, bathing veil in heat. Corrupted flame spren, vivid blue and somehow more jagged, danced inside of it, Tables lined the walkway here, piled with food. Candied meats, stacks of flatbread crusted with sugar, fruits, and pastries. A variety of people passed by, occasionally scooping food off the tables with their bare hands. They laughed and shouted. Many had been ardents, marked by brown robes. Others were light eyes, though their clothing had decayed. It seemed a fitting word for these suits with missing jackets, Hava dresses whose skirts were ragged from brushing the ground, safe hand sleeves ripped off at the shoulder and discarded somewhere. They moved like fish in a school, flowing from right to left. She picked out soldiers, both light-eyed and dark, in the remnants of uniforms. They seemed to take no note of her or of Harat standing to the side. She'd have to cut through the stream of people to get farther inward to the Oathgate control building. She started to do so, but Harat took her by the arm, steering her to join the flow of people. We have to stay to the outer ring, he said. No going inward for us. Nope. Be happy. You get, you get to enjoy the end of the world in style. She reluctantly let herself be pulled along. It was probably best to do a round of the platform anyway. However, not long after starting, she began to hear the voice. Let go, give up your pain, feast, indulge, embrace the end. Pattern hummed on her coat, his sound lost to the many people laughing and drinking. Harat stuck his fingers into some kind of creamy dessert, taking it by the handful. His eyes had glazed over, and he muttered to himself as he pushed the food into his mouth. Though others laughed and even danced, most showed that same glassy look. She could feel Pattern's vibrations on her coat. It seemed to counteract the voices, clearing her head. Harat handed her a cup of wine he'd scooped from a table. Who set this all up? Where were the servants? There was just so much food. Tables and tables of it. People moved in buildings they passed, engaging in other carnal delights. Vale tried to slip across the stream of revelers, but Harat kept hold of her. Everyone wants to go inward their first time, he said. You aren't allowed. Enjoy this. Enjoy the feeling. It's not our fault, right? We didn't fail her. We were only doing what she asked. Don't cause a storm, girl. Nobody wants that, he hung on to Vale's arm. So instead, she waited until they passed another building and tugged him that way. Going to find a partner, he asked, numb. Sure, that's allowed, assuming you can find anyone still sober enough to care. They entered the building, which had once been a place for meditation, filled with individual rooms. It smelled sharply of incense, and each alcove had its own brazier for burning prayers. Those were now occupied for another sort of experience. I just want to rest a moment, she told Harat, peeking into an empty room. It had a window. She could slip out that, maybe. It's all so overwhelming. Oh, he looked over his shoulder toward the revel passing outside. His left hand was still coated with sweet paste. Vale stepped into the chamber. When he tried to follow, she said, I need a moment alone. I'm supposed to keep watch on you, he said, and prevented her from closing the door. Then watch, she said, and settled down on the bench inside the cell, from a distance. He sighed and sat down on the floor of the hallway. Now what? A new face, she thought. What did he name me? Kishi, it meant mystery. She used a memory she'd drawn earlier in the day, that of a woman from the market. In her mind, Shallan added touches to the clothing. A hava, ragged like the others, an exposed safe hand. It would do. She wished she could sketch it, but she could make this work. Now what to do about her guard? He probably hears voices, she thought. I can use that. She pressed her hand to Pattern and wove sound. Go, she whispered. Hang on the wall of the hallway outside next to him. Pattern softly hummed his reply. She closed her eyes and could faintly hear the words she'd woven to be whispered near Harat. Indulge. Get something to drink. Join the revel. You going to just sit there? Harat called in to her. Yes, I'm going to get something to drink. Don't leave, fine, he rose, then jogged out. By the time he got back, she had attached an illusion of veil to a ruby mark, then left it there. It showed veil resting on the bench, eyes closed, snoring softly. Kishi passed Harat in the hallway, stepping with glassy eyes. He didn't spare her a second glance and instead settled down in the hallway with a large cup of wine to watch Vale. Kishi joined the revel outside. A man there laughed and grabbed at her safe hand, as if to pull her toward one of the rooms. Kishi dodged him and slipped farther inward, flowing through the stream of people. This outer ring seemed to round the entire Oathgate platform. The secrets were farther toward the center. Nobody forbade Kishy as she left the flow of the outer ring, stepping between two buildings, heading inward.
1: The others stopped their small talk, and the officer's table grew very still as Kaladin settled down across from Azure. The High Marshal laced her gloved hands before herself. "Cal, is it, she said, the light-eyed man with slave brands, How are you finding your time in the wall, guard? It's a well-run army, sir, and strangely welcoming of one such as myself. He then nodded over the High Marshal's shoulder. I've never seen someone treat a shard blade so casually. You just hang it on a peg? The others at the table watched with obviously held breaths. I'm not particularly worried about anyone taking her, Azure said. I trust these men. It's still remarkable, Kaladin said. Foolhardy, even. Across the table, two places down from Azure, Lieutenant Norro raised his hands silently toward Kaladin in a pleading way. Don't screw this up, Cal. But Azure smiled. I never did get an explanation for that shashbrand, soldier. I never gave a proper one, sir, Kaladin said. I'm not fond of the memories that earned me the scar. How did you end up in this city, Azure asked? Sadius' lands are far to the north. There are several armies of Voidbringers between here and there, by report. I flew. How about you, sir? You couldn't have been in the city long before the siege began. Nobody talks of you earlier than that time. They say you appeared right when the guard needed you. Perhaps I was always here, but merely blended in. With those scars, they may not spell out danger as explicitly as mine, but they'd have been memorable. The rest of the table, lieutenants and the platoon captain, stared at Kaladin slack-jawed. Perhaps he was pushing too hard, acting too far above his station. He'd never been good at acting his station, though. Perhaps, Azure said... One shouldn't be questioning my arrival. Be thankful someone was here when the city needed them. I am thankful, Kaladin said. Your reputation with these men commends you, Azure, and extreme times can excuse a great deal. Eventually, though, you'll need to come clean. These men deserve to know who, exactly, is commanding them. And what about you, Cal? She took a spoonful of curry and rice, men's food, which she ate with gusto. Do they deserve to know your past? Shouldn't you come clean? Perhaps. I am your commanding officer, you realize. You should answer me when I ask questions. I've given answers, Kaladin said. If they aren't the ones you want, then perhaps your questions aren't very good. Noro gasped audibly. And you, Cal, you make statements dripping with implications. You want answers? Why not just ask? Storms, she was right. He'd been dancing around serious questions. Kaladin looked her in the eyes. Why won't you let anyone talk about the fact that you're a woman, Azure? Naro, don't faint. You'll embarrass us all. The lieutenant thumped his forehead against the table, groaning softly. The Captain Lord, with whom Kaladin hadn't interacted much, had gone red-faced. They came up with this game on their own, Azure said. They're a lethy, so they need an excuse for why they're listening to a woman giving military orders. Pretending there's some mystery focuses them on that, instead of on masculine pride. I find the entire thing silly. She leaned forward. Tell me Honestly. Did you come here chasing me? Chasing you? Kaladin cocked his head. Drums sounded in the near distance. It took a moment for them, even Kaladin, to register what that meant. Then Kaladin and Azure threw themselves back from the bench at nearly the same time. To arms! Kaladin shouted. There's an attack on the wall!
0: The next ring inward on the Oathgate platform was filled with people crawling. Kishi stood at the perimeter, watching a multitude of men and women in ragged finery crawl past her, giggling, moaning, or gasping. Each seemed in the thrall of a different emotion, and each stared with an openly maddened expression. She thought she recognized a few from the descriptions of light-eyes who had disappeared into the palace, though in their state- It was hard to tell. A woman with long hair dragging on the ground looked toward her, grinning with clenched teeth and bleeding gums. She crawled one hand after another, her hava shredded, faded. She was followed by a man wearing rings glowing with stormlight, in contrast to his ripped clothing. He giggled incessantly. The food on the tables here rotted and was infested with decay spren. Kishi wavered at the edge of the ring. She should have kept to the outer ring. She didn't belong here. There was food aplenty behind her, laughter and reveling. It seemed to pull her back, inviting her to join the eternal, beautiful walk. Within that ring, time wouldn't matter. She could forget Shallan and what she'd done. Just, just give in, Pattern hummed. Vale gasped. Letting Kishy burst from her, light weaving, collapsing. Storms. She had to be away from this place. It was doing things to her brain, strange things, even for her. Not yet. She pulled her coat tight, then picked her way across the street full of crawling people. No bonfire lit her way, only the moon overhead and the light of the jewelry the people wore. Storms. Where had they all gone for the storm? Their moaning, chittering, and babbling chased her as she crossed the street, then hurried down a dark pathway between two monastery buildings, inward, toward the control building, which should be right ahead. The voices in her head combined from whispers to a kind of surging rhythm, a thumping of impressions, followed by a pause, followed by another surge, almost like She stepped between the buildings and entered a moonlit square, colored violet from Salus above. Instead of the control building, she found an overgrown mass. Something had covered the entire structure, like the Midnight Mother had enveloped the gemstone pillar beneath Urethiru. The dark mass pulsed and throbbed. Black veins as thick as a man's leg ran from it and melded with the ground nearby. A heart. It beat an irregular rhythm, bum-ba-ba-bum, instead of the common ba-bum of her own heartbeat. Give in, join the revel. Shalán. listen to me. She shook herself. That last voice had been different. She'd heard it before, hadn't she? She looked to the side and found her shadow on the ground pointed the wrong way toward the moonlight instead of away from it. The shadow crept up the wall, with eyes that were white holes, glowing faintly. I'm not your enemy, but the heart is a trap. Take caution. Distantly, drums started sounding on the top of the wall. The void bringers were attacking. It all threatened to overwhelm her. The thumping heart, the strange processions in rings around it, the drums and the panic that the fused were coming for her because she'd been seen. Vale seized control. She'd accomplished her goal, she'd scouted the area, and she had information about the Oath Gate. It was time to get out. She turned and forcibly put on Kishi's face. She crossed the stream of crawling, moaning people. She flowed back into the outer ring of revelers before slipping out. She didn't check on her guide. She walked to the rim of the Oathgate platform and, without a look back, leaped off.
1: 79. Echoes of Thunder. A revelation is fueled by the theory that the unmade can perhaps be captured like ordinary spren. It would require a special prison and Malishi. From Drawer 3020, Third Emerald. Kaladin charged up the stairwell beside High Marshal Azure, the sound of drums breaking in the air like echoes of thunder from the departed storm. He counted the beats. Storms, that's my section under assault. Damnation, these creatures, Azure muttered. I'm missing something. Like white on black. She glanced at Kaladin. Just tell me, who are you? Who are you? The two burst out of the stairwell onto the wall's top, entering a scene of chaos. The soldiers on duty had lit the enormous oil lamps on the tops of the towers, giving light to the dark walls. Fused, swooped between them, trailing dark violet light, attacking with long-bloodied lances. Men lay screaming on the ground or huddled in pairs, holding up shields as if trying to hide from the nightmares above. Kaladin and Azure exchanged a look, then nodded to one another. Later. She broke left and Kaladin dashed right, shouting for men to form up. Sill spun around his head, concerned, anxious. Kaladin scooped his shield off the ground and seized a soldier by the arm, towing him around and locking shields. A swooping lance clanged off the metal, sending a jolt through Kaladin. The Voidbringer flew past. Pained, Kaladin ignored the wounded and bleeding who crawled with corrupted pain-spread. He pulled the scattered remnants of the Eighth Platoon back together while his own men stumbled to a halt outside the stairwell. These were their friends, the people with whom they shared a barrack. "'To your right and up!' Syl shouted. Kaladin set himself and used his shield to push aside the lance of a Voidbringer whose sword passed. A second bringer followed, wearing a long skirt of rippling crimson cloth. The way she flew was almost mesmerizing. Right up until her lance pinned Captain Dedanor against the wall's battlements, then lifted him and tossed him over. He screamed as he plummeted toward the ground below. Kaladin almost broke rank and ran for him, but held himself in line by force. He reached by instinct for the stormlight in his pouch, but held himself back. Using it for lashing would attract screamers, and in this darkness even drawing in a small amount would reveal him for what he was. The fused would all attack him together. He would risk undermining the mission to save the entire city. Today, he protected best through discipline, order, and keeping a level head. Squads one and two, with me, he shouted. Vardinar, you've got five and six. Have your men hand out pikes, then grab bows and get to the tower's top. Noro, take squads three and four and set up on the wall walk just past the tower. My men will hold here on this side. Go, go! Nobody voiced a complaint as they scrambled to do as he said. Kaladin heard shots from the High Marshal farther down the wall, but didn't have a chance to see how she was doing. As his two squads finally got a proper shield wall mounted a human corpse slammed down onto the wall walk nearby. It had been dropped from very high up, or perhaps it had been lashed into the sky and had only now fallen. Most of the wounded men were archers from the 8th platoon. It looked like they'd been swept from the top of the tower. We can't fight these things, Kaladin thought. The Voidbringers attacked in sweeping dives coming in from all directions. It was impossible to maintain a normal formation beneath that assault. Sill shifted into the shape of a girl and looked at him questioningly. He shook his head. He could fight without stormlight. He'd protected people long before he could fly. He started to call out orders, but a fused passed by, slapping at their pikes with a large shield. Before the men could get them reoriented, another crashed down into the center of them, sending soldiers stumbling. A violet glow steamed from the creature's body as it swept around with its lance, wielding it like an oversized staff. Kaladin ducked by instinct, trying to maneuver his pike. The fused grinned as the formation disintegrated. It was male, reminiscent of a parshendi, with layered plates of chitin armor creeping down across its forehead and rising from cheeks that were marbled black and red. Kaladin leveled his pike, but the creature lunged along it and pressed its hand against Kaladin's chest. He felt himself grow lighter, but also suddenly begin to fall backward. The creature had lashed him, Kaladin fell back, like he was toppling off a ledge, falling along the wall toward a group of his men. The Fused wanted Kaladin to crash into them, but it had made a mistake. The sky was his. Kaladin responded immediately to the lashing and reoriented himself in the blink of an eye. Down became the direction he was falling, along the walkway, toward the towering guard post. His men seemed to be stuck to the side of a cliff, turning toward him, horrified. Kaladin was able to shove against the stone with the end of his pike, moving him to the side as he whooshed past his men instead of crashing into them. Sill joined him as a ribbon, and he twisted, falling feet first along the walkway toward the guard tower below. He was able to nudge himself, so he fell right into the open doorway. He dropped the pike, then caught the lip of the doorway as he passed through it. He stopped with a jarring lurch, arms protesting with pain. But that maneuver slowed him enough. When he swung and let go... He dropped through the room, past the dining table, which seemed glued to the wall, and landed on the opposite wall, inside the building. He stepped over to the other doorway, which looked out onto the walk where he'd positioned Noro's squad. Beard and bed held pikes toward the sky, looking anxious. Kaladin, Sill said, above. He looked upward and out the doorway he'd come through. The Voidbringer who had lashed him came soaring downward, carrying a lance. It curved to bypass the tower, preparing to whip around and attack Beard and the men on the other side. Kaladin growled and dashed along the inside wall of the tower, pulled himself up past the table, then hurled himself out a window. He crashed into the Voidbringer in midair, shoving the creature's lance to the side. Leave my men alone! Kaladin clung to the clothing of the monster, spinning in the air dozens of feet above the dark city, sparkling with the light of spheres in windows or lanterns. The Voidbringer lashed them higher, falsely assuming that the more height it had, the more advantage it would gain over Kaladin. Holding tightly with his left hand, wind whipping around them, Kaladin reached out with his right hand and summoned Syl as a long knife. She appeared immediately, and Kaladin shoved the diminutive shard blade into the creature's stomach. The Voidbringer grunted and looked at him with deep, glowing red eyes. It dropped its lance and began to claw at Kaladin while spinning itself in the air, trying to throw him free. They can survive wounds, Kaladin thought, gritting his teeth as the thing gripped at his neck. Like radiance. That void light sustains them. Kaladin still refrained from drawing in his own stormlight. He suffered the fused's lashings as it spun them in the air, shouting in a language Kaladin didn't understand. He tried to maneuver the shard knife and cut the thing's spine. The weapon was insanely sharp, but for the moment leverage and disorientation were bigger factors. The Voidbringer grunted, then lashed itself, with Kaladin hanging on, back downward toward the wall. They fell quickly, a double or triple lashing, spiraling and screaming toward the wall walk. Kaladin! Sill's voice in his head. I sense something, something about its power. Cut upward, toward the heart. The city, the battle, the sky, all became a blur. Kaladin forced his blade farther into the creature's chest, pushing it upward, seeking... The shard knife struck something brittle and hard. The fused red's eyes winked out. Kaladin twisted, putting the corpse beneath him in the wall walk. They hit hard, and he bounced off the corpse, then hit the stones with a crack. He groaned, eyes flashing with pain, and was forced, by instinct, to take in a breath of stormlight to heal the damage of the fall. That light flowed through him, re bones, repairing organs. It was used up in a moment and he forced himself not to draw in more, instead pushing himself up and shaking his head. The Voidbringer stared sightlessly from the wall walk beside him. It was dead. Ahead, the other fused began streaking away in retreat, leaving a broken and battered group of guards. Kaladin stumbled to his feet. His section of the wall was empty, save for the dead and the dying. He didn't recognize any. He'd hit the wall some fifty feet away from his platoon's position. Syl landed on his shoulder and patted him on the side of the head. Painsprin littered the wall, crawling this way and that in the shape of hands without skin. This city is doomed, Kaladin thought as he knelt by one of the wounded and quickly prepared a bandage by slicing up a fallen cloak. Storms we might all be doomed. We're not anywhere near ready to fight these things. It looked like Noro's squad at least had survived. They jogged down the wall and gathered around the Voidbringer Kaladin had killed, nudging it with the butts of their pikes. Kaladin tied off a tourniquet, then moved to another man whose head he wrapped. Soon army surgeons flooded the wall. Kaladin stepped back, bloodied, but more angry than tired. He turned to Noro, Beard, and the others who had gathered around him. You killed one, Beard said, feeling at his arm with the empty glyph ward. Storms? You actually killed one, Cal. How many have you brought down? Kaladin asked, realizing that he'd never asked. How many has the Wall Guard killed during the assaults these last weeks? His men shared glances. Azure drove a few off, Noro said. They're afraid of her shard blade. But as for Voidbringers killed, this would be the first, Cal. Storms. Even worse, the one he'd killed would be reborn. Unless the Heralds set up their prison again, Kaladin couldn't ever really kill one of the Fused. I need to talk to Azure, he said, striding down the wall walk. Noro, report. None fallen, sir. Though Vasilev took a gash to the chest. He's with the surgeons and should pull through. Good. Squad, you're with me. He found Asher surveying the Eighth Platoon's losses near their guard tower. She had her cloak off and held oddly in one hand wrapped around her forearm, with part of it draping down below. Her unsheathed shard blade glittered, long and silvery. Kaladin stepped up to her, the sleeve of his uniform stained dark with the blood of the Voidbringer he'd killed. Asher looked tired and she gestured with her sword outward. Have a look, Lights lit the horizon. Sphere lights. Thousands upon thousands of them. Far more than he'd seen on previous nights. They blanketed the landscape. That's the entire enemy army, Azure said. I'd bet my red life on it. Somehow they marched them through that storm earlier today. It won't be long now. They'll have to attack before the next high storm. A few days at most. I need to know what's going on here, Azure, Kaladin said. How are you getting food for this army? She drew her lips to a line. He killed one, High Marshal, Beard whispered from behind him. Storms, he took one of them down. Grabbed on like he was mounting a storming horse, and then rode the bastard through the sky. The woman studied him, and reluctantly Kaladin summoned Sill as a shard blade. Noro's eyes bulged and Ved nearly fainted, though Beard just grinned. I'm here, Kaladin said, resting the sill blade on his shoulder. On orders from King Elokar and the Blackthorn. It's my job to save Kolinar, and it's time you started talking to me. She smiled at him. Come with me.
0: 80. Oblivious. Ba Edo Mishram has somehow connected with the Parsh people, as Odium once did. She provides void light and facilitates forms of power. Our strike team is going to imprison her. From Drawer 3020, Fourth Emerald. Grund wasn't at his normal spot inside the corner of the broken shop. The place hadn't fared well during the Everstorm, The ceiling was sagging even more, and a snarl of tree branches had been blown in through the window, littering the floor. Vale frowned, calling his name. After fleeing the Oathgate platform, she'd met up with Vatha, who had been waiting as instructed. She'd sent Vatha back to report to the king, and probably should have gone herself. But she hadn't been able to shake the eerie disquiet of her trip through the revel. Going back home would have left her too much time to think. Vale wanted to be out working instead. Monsters and void bringers were something she couldn't comprehend. But starving children, she could do something about that. She'd taken the two remaining sacks of food and gone to help the city's people. If she could find them. Grund, Vale repeated, leaning farther in through the window. Before, he'd always been up at this time. Perhaps he'd finally moved out of the building like all the others had or maybe he hadn't gotten back from the storm shelter yet, following the everstorm. She turned to leave, but Grund finally stumbled into the room. The little urchin tucked his malformed hand into his pocket and scowled at her. That was odd. He normally seemed so happy when she arrived. What's wrong? She asked. Nothing, he said. Thought you was someone else. He gave her a grin. Vale fished a few pieces of flatbread from her bag. Not much today, I'm afraid. I wanted to make sure to stop by, though. The information you gave us on that book was very helpful. He licked his lips, holding out his hands. She tossed him the flatbread, and he took an eager bite. What do you need next? Nothing right now, Vale said. Come on, there has to be something I can do to help. Something you want, right? Too desperate, Vale thought. What is beneath the surface here? What have I missed? I'll consider, she said. Grund, is everything all right? Right, sure, everything is great, he paused. Unless it shouldn't be? Pattern hummed softly on Vale's coat. She agreed. I'll stop by again in a few days. Should have a big haul then. Vale tipped her hat to the urchin, then slipped back into the market. It was late, but people lingered. Nobody wanted to be alone on days after the Everstorm came. Some looked toward the wall where those fused had attacked. But that sort of thing happened almost daily, so it didn't cause too much of a stir. Vale drew more attention than she'd have wanted. She'd exposed herself to them, given up her face. Grund tells lies, doesn't he? Pattern whispered. Yeah, I'm not sure why or what about. As she wove into the market, she put her hand before her face, changing it with a wave of the fingers. She took her hat off, folded it, and covertly light-wove it to look like a water skin. Each was a little change that nobody would notice. She tucked her hair into her coat, made it look shorter, then finally closed her coat and changed the clothing underneath. When she took off the coat and folded it up, she was no longer Vale but a market guard she'd drawn earlier. Rolled coat under her arm, she lingered at a corner and waited to see if anyone passed, looking for Vale. She didn't spot anyone, though her training with Ishnat spotting tails wasn't yet extensive. She threaded her way back through the crowd to Grund's shop again. She lingered near the wall, then eased toward the window, listening. Told you we shouldn't have given her the book, a voice was saying inside. This is pathetic, another said. Pathetic, that was the best you could do. She heard a grunt and a whimper. That's Grund." Vale cursed softly scrambling around to look in through the window. A group of thugs was chewing on the flatbread she'd brought. Grund lay in the corner, whimpering and holding his stomach. Vale felt a flash of rage, and anger spren immediately boiled around her, pools that sprayed red and orange. She shouted at the men and dashed for the doorway. They immediately scattered, the one slammed a cudgel onto Grund's head with a sickening crunch. By the time she reached Grund, the men had vanished farther into the building. She heard the door in the back slam closed. Pattern appeared in her hand as a shard blade, but Stormfather, she couldn't give chase, not and leave the poor child here. Vale dismissed Pattern and knelt, aghast at the bloody wound in Grund's head. It was bad. The skull was broken. Bleeding, he blinked, dazed. V- vale, Storms Grund. She whispered, "I. What could she do? Help, help somebody! There's a wounded child in here." Grund whimpered, then whispered something. Vale leaned close, feeling useless. Hate, Hate Grund whispered. Hate you. It's all right, Vale said. They're gone now. They ran, I'll help. Bandage. She cut at her shirt tails with her knife. Hey, you, Grund whispered. It's me, Grund, not those others. Why couldn't you leave me alone? He whispered. They killed them all, my friends, Ty. Vale pressed the cloth against his head wound and he winced. Storms. Quiet, don't exert yourself. Hey, you, he repeated. I brought you food, Grund. You drew them, he hissed. You strutted around, throwing food. You thought people wouldn't notice? He closed his eyes. I had to sit all day, wait for, for you. My life was waiting for you. If I wasn't here when you came or if I tried to hide the food, they beat me. How long, she whispered, feeling her confidence shake. Since the first day, you storming woman. Hate, hate you. Others too. We all hate you. She sat with him as his breathing slowed, then cut off. Finally, she knelt back, bloodied cloth in her hands. Vale could handle this. She'd seen death. Death. It was life on the street and too much too much for one day Shalon blinked tears from the corners of her eyes Pattern hummed "Shalon," he said. "The boy, he spoke of the others." "Others? Storms." She threw herself to her feet and pushed out into the night dropping Vale's hat and coat in her haste. She ran for Muri, the mother who had once been a seamstress. Shallan shoved through the market until she reached the packed tenement where the seamstress lived. She crossed the common room, then breathed a sigh of relief as she found Muri alive inside her small room. The woman was hurriedly tossing clothing into a sack, her eldest daughter clutching a similar one. She looked up, saw Shallan, who still looked like Vale, and cursed to herself. You. The frown lines and scowl were unfamiliar. She'd always seemed so pleasant. You know already? Shallan asked. About Grund? Grund? Muri snapped. All I know is that the Grips are angry about something. I'm not going to take a chance. The Grips? How oblivious are you, woman? The gang in charge of this area has had toughs watching us all for when you next arrived. The one watching me met with another and they had a quiet argument, then took off. I heard my name, so I'm leaving. They took the food I gave you, didn't they? Storms, they killed Grund. Muri stopped, then shook her head. Poor kid. Better you than he. She cursed, gathering her sacks and shoving her children toward the common room. We always had to sit here waiting for you and your storming sack of goodies. I'm... I'm sorry. Muri left into the night with her children. Shallan watched them go, feeling numb, empty. She quietly sank down in Muri's deserted room, still holding the cloth with Grund's blood.
1: 81. Ithi and her sister. We are uncertain the effect this will have on the Parsh. At the very least, it should deny them forms of power. Melishi is confident, but Naze daughter Kuzodo warns of unintended side effects. From Drawer 3020, Fifth Emerald My name is Kaladin, he said, standing in the barrack common room, which had been emptied at the High Marshal's order. Noro's squad had remained by Kaladin's request, and Azure had invited in Battalion Lord Hadenar, a stocky, bejowled fellow, one of Azure's primary officers. The only other person in the room was the fidgety ardent who painted glyph wards for the platoon. Soft blue sphere light bathed the table where most of them sat. Kaladin stood instead, washing the blood from his hands with a damp rag at a water basin. Kaladin, Azure mused, a regal name? What's your house? They just call me Stormblessed. If you need proof of my orders from the king, it can be arranged. Let's pretend, for the sake of conversation, that I believe you, Azure said. What do you want from us? I need to know how you're using a soulcaster without drawing the attention of the screaming spren. The secret might be essential to my work to save the city. Azure nodded, then rose and walked toward the back of the barrack. She used a key to open the back room. Kaladin had glanced in there before, though. It only held some supplies. The rest of them followed Azure into the room where she slipped a small hook between two stones and threw a hidden latch. This let her remove a stone, revealing a handle. She heaved, pulling open a doorway. The light of a few handheld spheres revealed a small corridor that ran down the middle of the city wall. You cut a tunnel in one of the wind blades, sir," Beard asked, shocked. "This has been here longer than any of us have been alive, soldier," Battalion Lord Hatinar said. "It is a quick, secret way between posts. There are even a few hidden stairwells up to the top." They had to go single file inside. Beard followed behind Calhoun, scrunched up against him in the confines. "Um, so Cal." You, uh, you know the Blackthorn? Better than most. And, uh, ahem, <clears throat> you know that the two of you never went swimming together in the Pure Lake? Kaladin said. Yes, though I suspect the rest of the squad guessed that beard. Yeah, he said, glancing back at the others. He exhaled softly. I figured you'd never believe the truth, since it was actually the Azish Emperor— this corridor, cut through the stone, reminded Kaladin of the strata of Eurythiru. They reached a trapdoor on the floor, which Azure opened with a key. A short trip down a ladder, which had a dumbwaiter beside it with ropes and pulleys, led them to a large room filled with sacks of grain. Kaladin held up a sphere, revealing a jagged wall with chunks cut out of it in a distinctly uneven way. "'I come down here every night or so,' Azure said, pointing with a gloved hand, and cut out blocks with my blade. I have nightmares about the city collapsing down on us, but I don't know of another way to get enough stone. At least, not without drawing even more attention. On the other side of the chamber, they found yet another locked door. Azure knocked twice, then opened this one, revealing a smaller room occupied by an aged female ardent. She knelt beside a stone block and wore a distinctive fabriole on her hand, one that glowed powerfully with light from the emeralds it contained. The woman had an inhuman look to her. She seemed to be growing vines under her skin, and they peeked out around her eyes, growing from the corners and spreading down her face like runners of ivy. She stood and bowed to Azure. A real soul caster. So. Azure wasn't doing it herself? How? Kaladin asked. Why didn't the screamers come for you? Azure pointed at the sides of the room, and for the first time Kaladin noticed the walls were covered with reflective metal plates. He frowned and rested his fingers against one and found it cool to the touch. This wasn't steel, was it? Soon after the strangeness at the palace began, Azure said... A man pulled a chulk cart up to the front of our barrack. He had these sheets of metal in the back. He was uh, an odd fellow. I've had interactions with him before. Angular features, Kaladin guessed. Quick with an insult, silly and straight, somehow all at once. You know him, I see, Azure said. He warned us to only soul cast inside a room lined with this metal. So far as we can tell, it prevents the Screamers from sensing us. Unfortunately, it also blocks span reeds from contacting the outside. We keep poor Itty and her sister working non-stop, trading off the Soulcaster. Beating the entire city would be an impossible task for the two of them, but we've been able to at least keep our army strong with some despair. Damnation, Kaladin thought, inspecting the reflective walls. This wasn't going to help him use his powers without notice. All right, storm blessed, Azure said. I've opened our secrets to you. Now you'll tell me how the king could expect one man, even a shard bearer, to be able to save this city. There's a device in Colinar, he said, of ancient design. It can instantly transport large groups of people across great distances. He turned toward Azure and the others. The Kul'in armies wait way to join us here. All we need to do is activate the device, something that only a select few people can do. The soldiers looked stunned. All but Azure, who perked up. Really? You're serious? Kaladin nodded. Great. Let's get this thing working. Where is it? Kaladin took a deep breath. Well, that happens to be the problem.
0: Eighty-two, the girl who stood up. Surely this will bring, at long last, the end to war that the heralds promised us. From drawer thirty twenty, Final Emerald. She huddled someplace. She'd forgotten where. For a while, she'd been everybody, a hundred faces, cycling one after another. She searched them for comfort. Surely she could find someone who didn't hurt. All the nearby refugees had fled, naming her a spren. They left her with those hundred faces, in silence, until her stormlight died off. That left only Shalon, unfortunately. Darkness, a candle snuffed out, a scream cut off. With nothing to see, her mind provided images. Her father, his face turning purple as she strangled him, singing a lullaby. Her mother, dead with burned eyes. Tin, run through by pattern. Cabsul, shaking on the floor as he succumbed to poison. Yalb, the incorrigible sailor from wind's pleasure, dead in the depths of the sea. An unnamed coachman, murdered by members of the ghost bloods. Now grunned, his head opened up. Vale had tried to help these people, but had succeeded only in making their lives worse. The lie that was Vale became suddenly manifest. She hadn't lived on the streets and she didn't know how to help people. Pretending to have experience didn't mean she actually did. Vale had always thought to herself that Shallan could handle the big picture, the void bringers and the unmade. Now she had to confront the truth that she had no idea what to do. She couldn't get to the Oath Gate. It was guarded by an ancient spren that could get inside her brain. The whole city was depending on her, but she hadn't even been able to save a little beggar boy. As she curled up on the floor, Grund's death seemed a shadow of everything else, of her good intentions turned arrogant. Everywhere she trod, death haunted her. Every face she wore was a lie to pretend she could stop it. Couldn't she be somebody who didn't hurt? Just once? Light pushed shadows before it, long and slender. She blinked, momentarily transfixed. How many days had it been since she'd seen light? A figure stepped into the common room outside her little hole of a chamber. She was still in the long room Moorey had lived in. She sniffled softly. The newcomer brought his light to her doorway, then carefully stepped inside and settled down across from her, his back against the wall. The room was narrow enough that his legs stretched out and touched the wall beside her. She had hers drawn up, knees against her chest, head resting on them. Wit didn't speak. He put his sphere on the floor and let her have the silence. I should have known better, she finally whispered. Perhaps, Wit said. Giving out so much food only drew predators. Foolish. I should have focused on the Oathgate. Again, perhaps. It's so hard, Wit. When I wear Vale's face, I, I have to think like her. Seeing the larger scope grows difficult when she takes over, and I want her to take over because she's not me. The thieves who killed that child have been seen to, Wit said. She looked up at him. When some of the men in the market heard what had happened, Witt continued, they finally formed the militia they'd been talking about. They rushed the grips, forcing them to give up the murderer, then disperse. I apologize for not acting sooner. I had been distracted by other tasks, You'll be pleased to know that some of the food you gave away was still in their base. Was it worth that boy's life? Shallan whispered. I cannot judge the worth of a life. I would not dare to attempt it. Mori said it would be better if I were dead. As I lack the experience to decide the worth of a life, I sincerely doubt that she has somehow obtained it. You tried to help the people of the market. You mostly failed. This is life. The longer you live, the more you fail. Failure is the mark of a life well lived. In turn, the only way to live without failure is to be of no use to anyone. Trust me, I've practiced. She sniffled, looking away. I have to become veiled to escape the memories, but I don't have the experience that she pretends to have. I haven't lived her life. No, Wit said softly. You've lived a harsher one haven't you? Yet still, somehow, a naive one. She drew in a deep, ragged breath. She had to stop this. She knew she had to get over the tantrum and go back to the tailor's shop. She'd do it. She'd shove all this into the back of her mind with everything else she ignored. They could all fester together. Wit settled back. Have you heard the story of the girl who looked up? Shallan didn't reply. It's a story from long ago, Wit said. He cupped his hands around the sphere on the floor. Things were different in that time. A wall kept out the storms, but everyone ignored it. All but one girl, who looked up one day and contemplated it. Why is there a wall? Shallan whispered. Oh, so you do know it. Good. He leaned down, blowing at the creme dust on the floor. It swirled up, making a figure of a girl. It gave the brief impression of her standing before a wall, but then disintegrated back into dust. He tried again, and it swirled a little higher this time, but still fell back to dust. A little help? he asked. He pushed a bag of spheres across the ground toward Chalon. Shalon sighed then picked up the bag and drew in the stormlight. It started to rage within her, demanding to be used. So she stood up and breathed out, weaving it into an illusion she'd done once before. A pristine village and a young girl standing and looking upward toward an impossibly tall wall in the distance. The illusion made the room seem to vanish. Somehow, Shalon painted the walls and ceiling in precisely the right way, making them disappear into the landscape, become part of it. She hadn't made them invisible. They were merely covered up in a way that made it seem Shalon and Wit were standing in another place. This was, this was more than she'd ever done before. But was she really doing it? Shalon shook her head and stepped up beside the girl, who wore long scarves. Wit stepped up on the other side. Hmm, he said. Not bad, but it's not dark enough. What? I thought you knew the story, Wit said, tapping the air. The color and light bled from her illusion, leaving them standing in the darkness of night, lit only by a frail set of stars. The wall was an enormous blot before them. In these days, there was no light. No light? Of course, even without light, people still had to live, didn't they? That's what people do. I hastened to guess it's the first thing they learn how to do. So they lived in the darkness, farmed in the darkness, ate in the darkness. He waved behind him. People stumbled about in the village, feeling their way to different activities, barely able to see by the starlight. In this context, strange though it seemed, some pieces of the story as she'd told it made sense. When the girl went up to people and asked, why is there a wall? It was obvious why they found it so easy to ignore. The illusion followed Witt's words as the girl in the scarves asked several people about the wall. Don't go beyond it, or you shall die. And so, Wit said, she decided that the only way she'd find answers would be to climb the wall herself. He glanced at Shalon. Was she stupid or bold? How should I know? Wrong answer. She was both. It wasn't stupid. If nobody asked questions, then we would never learn anything. What of the wisdom of her elders? They offered no explanation for why she shouldn't ask about the wall. No rationalization, no justification. There's a difference between listening to your elders and just being as frightened as everyone else. Wit smiled, the sphere in his hand lighting his face. Funny, isn't it? How so many of our stories start the same way but have opposing endings. In half, the child ignores her parents, wanders out into the woods and gets eaten. In the other half, she discovers great wonders. There aren't many stories about the kids who say, yes, I shall not go into the forest. I'm glad my parents explained that is where the monsters lived. Is that what you're trying to teach me then? Shalon snapped. The fine distinction between choosing for yourself and ignoring good advice? I'm a terrible teacher. He waved his hand as the girl reached the wall after a long hike. She started to climb. Fortunately, I am an artist, and not a teacher. People learn things from art. Blasphemy. Art is not art if it has a function. Shallan rolled her eyes. Take this fork, Wit said. He waved his hand. Some of her stormlight split off from her, spinning above his hand and making an image of a floating fork in the darkness. It has a use. Eating. Now, if it were to be ornamented by a master artisan, would that change its function? The fork grew intricate embossing in the form of growing leaves. No, of course not. It has the same use, ornamented or not. The art is the part that serves no purpose. It makes me happy, Wit. That's a purpose? He grinned, and the fork disappeared. Weren't we in the middle of a story about a girl climbing a wall? Shallan asked. Yes, but that part takes forever, he said. I'm finding things to occupy us. We could just skip the boring part. Skip, Wit said, aghast. Skip, part of a story. Shallan snapped her fingers, and the illusion shifted so that they stood atop the wall in the darkness. The girl in the scarves finally, after toiling many days, pulled herself up beside them. You wound me, Wit said. What happens next? The girl finds steps, Shallan said. And the girl realizes that the wall wasn't to keep something in, but to keep her and her people out. Because? Because we're monsters. Wit stepped over to Shallan, then quietly folded his arms around her. She trembled, then twisted, burying her face in his shirt. You're not a monster, chalon Wit whispered. Oh, child, the world is monstrous at times, and there are those who would have you believe that you are terrible by association. I am? No, for you see it flows the other direction. You are not worse for your association with the world, but it is better for its association with you. She pressed against him, shivering. What do I do, Wit? She whispered. I know, I know I shouldn't be in so much pain. I had, she took a deep breath. I had to kill them. I had to. But now I've said the words and I can't ignore it any more. So I should, should just die too for having done it. Wit waved to the side toward where the girl in the scarves still overlooked a new world. What was that long pack she had set down beside her? So you remember, Wit said gently, the rest of the story? It's not important, we found the moral already. The wall kept people out, why? Because what had she told Pattern before, when she'd been showing him this story? Because, Wit said, pointing, beyond the wall was God's light. It burst alight in a sudden explosion, a brilliant and powerful brightness that lit the landscape beyond the wall. Shallan gasped as it shone over them. The girl in the scarves gasped in turn and saw the world in all its colors for the first time. She climbed down the steps, Shalon whispered, watching the girl run down the steps, scarves streaming behind her. She hid among the creatures who lived on this side. She sneaked up to the light, and she brought it back with her, to the other side, to the, to the land of shadows. Yes, indeed, Wit said, as the scene played out, the girl in the scarves slipping up to the grand source of light then breaking off a little piece in her hand. An incredible chase, the girl climbing the steps frantically, a crazed descent, and then light, for the first time in the village, followed by the coming of the storms, boiling over the wall. The people suffered, Wit said, but each storm brought light renewed, for it could never be put back, now that it had been taken and people for all their hardship would never choose to go back. Not now that they could see. The illusion faded, leaving the two of them standing in the common room of the building, mouri's little chamber off to the side. Shallan pulled back, ashamed at having wept on his shirt. Do you wish, Wit asked, that you could go back to not being able to see? No, she whispered, then live. And let your failures be part of you. That sounds, that sounds an awful lot like a moral wit. Like you're trying to do something useful. Well, as I said, we all fail now and then. He swept his hands to the sides, as if brushing something away from Shalon. Stormlight curled out from her right and left swirling, then forming into two identical versions of Shalon, They stood with ruddy hair, mottled faces, and sweeping white coats that belonged to someone else. Wit, she started, hush. He walked up to one of the illusions, inspecting it, tapping his chin with his index finger. A lot has happened to this poor girl, hasn't it? Many people have suffered more and they get along fine, Fine, Shallan shrugged, unable to banish the truths she'd spoken. The distant memory of singing to her father as she strangled him, the people she'd failed, the problems she'd caused. The illusion of Shallan to the left gasped, then backed up against the wall of the room, shaking her head. She collapsed, head down against her legs, curling up. Poor fool, Shallan whispered. Everything she tries only makes the world worse. She was broken by her father, then broke herself in turn. She's worthless, Wit, she gritted her teeth, found herself sneering. It's not really her fault, but she's still worthless. Wit grunted, then pointed at the second illusion, standing behind them. And that one? No different, Shallan said, tiring of this game. She gave the second illusion the same memories. Father, Helleran, failing Yasna, everything. The illusory Shalon stiffened, then set her jaw and stood there. Yes, I see, Wit said, strolling up to her. No different. What are you doing to my illusions? Shalon snapped. Nothing. They're the same in every detail. Of course they're not, Shallan said, tapping the illusion, feeling it. A sense pulsed through her from it, memories and pain, and, and something smothering them. Forgiveness, for herself, she gasped, pulling her finger back as if it had been bitten. It's terrible, Wit said, stepping up beside her, to have been hurt. It's unfair and awful and horrid. But Shallan, it's okay to live on. She shook her head. Your other minds take over, he whispered, because they look so much more appealing. You'll never control them until you're confident in returning to the one who birthed them, until you accept being you. Then I'll never control it, she blinked tears no wit said he nodded toward the version of her still standing up you will shalan if you do not trust yourself can you trust me for in you i see a woman more wonderful than any of the lies i promise you that woman is worth protecting you are worth protecting she nodded toward the illusion of herself still standing I can't be her. She's just another fabrication. Both illusions vanished. I see only one woman here, Wit said, and it's the one who is standing up. Shallan, that has always been you. You just have to admit it. Allow it, he whispered to her. It's all right to hurt. He picked up his pack then unfolded something from inside it. Veil's hat. He pressed the hat into her palm. Shockingly, morning light was shining in the doorway. Had she been here all night, huddled in this hole of a room? Wit she asked. I, I can't do it. He smiled. There are certain things I know, Shalon. This is one of them. You can. Find the balance. Accept the pain, but don't accept that you deserved it. Pattern hummed in appreciation of that, but it wasn't as easy as Wit said. She took in a breath and felt a shiver run through her. Wit collected his things, pack over his shoulder. He smiled, then stepped out into the light. Shallan released her breath, feeling foolish, She followed Wit out into the light, emerging into the market, which hadn't quite woken up yet. She didn't see Wit outside, but that was no surprise. He had a way of being where he shouldn't, but not being where you'd expect. Carrying Vale's hat, she walked the street, feeling odd to be herself in trousers and coat. Red hair, but a safe hand glove. Should she hide? Why? This felt fine. She walked all the way back to the tailor's shop and peeked in. Adeline sat at a table inside, bleary-eyed. He stood upright. Shallan? We were worried. Vatha said you should have come back. I, he embraced her and she relaxed into him. She felt better. Not well yet, it was all still there, but something about wit's words, I see only one woman here, the one who is standing up. Adolin still held her for a time, as if he needed to reassure himself. I know you're fine, of course, he said. I mean, you're basically unkillable, right? Finally, he pulled back, still holding her shoulders, and looked down at her outfit. Should she explain? Nice, Adolin said. Shallan, that's sharp. The red on white? He stepped back, nodding. Did Yokeska make that for you? Let me see the hat on you. Oh, Adeline, she thought, pulling on the hat. The jacket is a hair too loose, Adeline said. But the style is a really good match. Bold, crisp. He cocked his head. Would look better with the sword at your waist. Maybe. He trailed off. Do you hear that? She turned, frowning. It sounded like marching. A parade this early? They looked out at the street and found Caladin approaching along with what seemed to be an army of five or six hundred men, wearing the uniforms of the wall guard. Adolin sighed softly. Of course, he's probably their leader now or something, storming bridge boy. Kaladin marched his men right up to the front of the tailor's shop. She and Adelin stepped out to meet him, and she heard Elokar scrambling down the steps inside, shouting at what he'd apparently seen out the window. Kaladin was speaking softly with a woman in armor, helm under her arm, face crossed by a pair of scars. High Marshal Azure was younger than Shalon had expected. The soldiers grew hushed as they saw Adolin, then the king, who was already dressed. So that's what you meant, Azure said to Kaladin. Storm-blessed? Elokar asked. What is this? You've been wanting an army to attack the palace, your majesty, Kaladin said. Well, we're ready.
1: 83. Crimson to Break as the duly appointed keepers of the perfect gems, we of the Else Callers have taken the burden of protecting the ruby nicknamed Honor's Drop. Let it be recorded. From Drawer 2010, Zircon. Adel and Colin washed his face with a splash of cold water, then rubbed it clean with a wash rag. He was tired. He'd spent much of the night fretting about Shallan's failure to return. Below, in the shop proper, he could hear the others stomping about as they made last-minute preparations for the assault. An assault on the palace, his home for many years. He took a deep breath. Something was wrong. He fidgeted, checking his belt knife, the emergency bandages in his pocket. He checked the glyph ward Shalon had made him at his request, determination wrapped around his forearm. Then he finally realized what was bothering him, He summoned his shard blade. It was thick at the base, as wide as a man's palm, and the front waved like the ripples of a moving eel. The back had small crystalline protrusions growing out of it. No sheath could hold a weapon like this, and no mortal sword could imitate it, not without growing unusably heavy. You knew a shard blade when you saw one. That was the point. Adolin held the weapon before him in the lavatory, looking at his reflection in the metal. "'I don't have my mother's necklace,' he said, "'or any of the other traditions I used to follow. "'I never really needed those. "'I've only ever needed you.' "'He took a deep breath. "'I guess... "'I guess you used to be alive. "'The others say they can hear your screaming if they touch you. "'That you're dead, yet somehow still in pain.' I'm sorry. I can't do anything about that, but... Thank you. Thank you for assisting me all these years. And if it helps, I'm going to use you to do something good today. I'll try to always use you that way. He felt better as he dismissed the blade. Of course he carried another weapon, his belt knife, long and thin. A weapon intended for stabbing armored men. It had felt so satisfying to shove it through Sadius's eye. He still didn't know whether to feel ashamed or proud. He sighed, checked himself in the mirror, then made another quick decision. When he walked down the steps to the main room a short time later, he was wearing his Colin uniform. His skin missed the softer silk and better form of the tailored outfit, but he found he walked taller in this one despite the fact that a part of him, deep down, worried he didn't deserve to bear his father's glyphs any longer. He nodded to Elikar, who was speaking with the strange woman known as High Marshal Azure. My scouts have been driven back, she said, but they saw enough, Your Majesty. The Voidbringer army is here in its strength. They'll attack today or tomorrow for certain. Well, Elokar said, I suppose I understand why you did what you had to in taking control of the guard. I can't very well have you hanged as a usurper. Good work, I Marshal. I appreciate that. Shallan, Kaladin, Scar, and Drahi were standing with a palace map. They needed to memorize the layout. Adolin and Elokar, of course, already knew it. Shallon had chosen not to change out of the fetching white outfit she'd been wearing earlier. It would be more functional for an assault than a skirt. Storms, there was something about a woman in trousers and a coat. Elokhar left Azure to take reports from some of her men. Nearby in the room, a few light-eyed men saluted him, the high lords he and Adelin had revealed themselves to the night before. All they'd needed to do was walk away from the spheres powering their illusions, and their true faces had become manifest. Some of these men were opportunists, but many were loyalists. They'd brought some hundred men at arms with them, not as many as Kaladin had brought from the wall guard, but still Elokar seemed proud of what he had done in gathering them. As well he should. Together, he and Adolin joined the radiance near the front of the shop. Elokar waved for the High Lords to join them, then spoke firmly. Is everyone clear? Elokar asked. Storm the palace, Kaladin said. Seize the sunwalk, cross to the Oathgate platform, hold it while Shallan tries to drive away the unmade like she did in Yuvathiru. Then we activate the Oathgate and bring troops to Kolinar. The control building is completely overgrown with that black heart, Your Majesty, Shallan said. I don't truly know how I drove away the Midnight Mother. And I certainly don't know that I'll be able to do the same here. But you're willing to try? The king asked. Yes. She took a deep breath. Adolin squeezed her on the shoulder reassuringly. Windrunner, the king said. The duty I give you and your men is to get Queen Aesudan and the heir to safety. If the oath Gate works, we take them that way. If not, you must fly them out of the city.' Adolin glanced at the High Lords, who seemed to be taking all of this, the arrival of Knights Radiant, the King's decision to storm his own palace, in stride. He knew little of how they felt. Voidbringers, Everstorm, corrupted Sprenn in the city? Eventually you stopped being shocked at what happened to you. "'Are we sure this path across the Sunwalk is the best way?' Caledon asked, pointing at the map he was holding." He moved his finger from the palace's eastern gallery along the sunwalk onto the Oathgate platform. Adolin nodded. It's the best way to the Oathgate. Those narrow steps up the outside of that plateau would be murder to storm. Our best chance is to go up the palace's front steps, bring down the doors with our shard blades, and fight through the entryway to the eastern gallery. From there you can go up to the right to reach the king's quarters, or go straight across the sunwalk. I don't relish fighting along this corridor. Kaladin said. "'We have to assume that the Fused will join the battle "'on the side of the palace guard. "'It's possible I can distract them if they do come,' "'Shalon said. Kaladin grunted and didn't complain further. "'He saw, as Adolin did, "'this wasn't going to be an easy fight. "'There were a lot of choke points the defenders could use. "'But what else could they do?' "'In the distance, drums began sounding. "'From the walls.' Kaladin looked toward them. Another raid? One of the High Lords asked. Worse, Kaladin said, as behind them Azure cursed softly. That's the signal that the city's under attack. Azure pushed out the front doors of the tailor's shop, and the rest of them followed. Most of the six hundred men here belonged to the wall guard, and some stepped toward the distant walls, gripping spears and shields. Steady men, Azure called. Your Majesty, the bulk of my soldiers are dying on the wall in a hopeless fight. I'm here because Stormblessed convinced me that the only way to help them is to take that palace. So if we're going to do it, the time is now. We march, then, Elokar said. High Marshal, Bright Lords, pass the word to your forces. Organize ranks. We march on the palace at my command. Adolin turned as some fused coursed through the sky along the distant wall. Enemy surge-binders. Storms. He shook his head and hurried over to Yokska and her husband. They had watched all this, the arrival of an army on their doorstep, the preparations for an assault, with bewilderment. If the city holds, Adolin said, you'll be fine. But if it falls, he took a deep breath. Reports from other cities indicate that there won't be wholesale slaughter. The Voidbringers are here to occupy, not exterminate. I'd still suggest you prepare to flee the city and make your way to the Shattered Plains. The Shattered Plains? Yorkska asked, aghast. But, Brightlord, that's hundreds and hundreds of miles. I know, he said, wincing. Thank you so much for taking us in. We're going to do what we can to stop this. Nearby, Elokar approached the timid ardent who had come with Azure. He had been hurriedly painting glyph wards for the soldiers and jumped as Elokar took him by the shoulder and shoved an object into his hand. What's this? the ardent asked, nervous. It's a span read, Elokar said. A half hour after my army marches you are to contact Eurythiru and warn them to get their forces ready to transfer here via the Oath Gate." I can't use a fabriel. The screamer's steady, man. The enemy may be too preoccupied by their attack to notice you. But even if they do, you must take the risk. Our armies must be ready. The fate of the city could depend on this. The ardent nodded, pale. Adolin joined the troops, calming his nerves by force. Just another battle. He'd been in dozens, if not hundreds of those. But storms, he was used to empty fields of stone, not streets. Nearby, a small group of guardsmen chatted softly. We'll be fine one of them was saying. He was a shorter man, clean-shaven, though he had strikingly hairy arms. I tell you, I saw my own death up there on the wall. She streaked toward me, Lance held right toward my heart. I looked in those red eyes and I saw myself dying. Then, he was there. He shot from the tower window like an arrow and crashed into the void bringer. That spear was meant for my life and he changed fate, I tell you. I swear he was glowing when he did it. We're entering an era of gods, Adolin thought. Elokar raised his shard blade high and gave the command. They marched through the city, passing worried refugees. Rows of buildings with doors shut tight, as if in preparation for a storm. Eventually, the palace rose before the army like an obsidian block. The very stones seemed to have changed color. Adolin summoned his shard-blade, and the sight of it seemed to give comfort to the men nearby. Their march took them toward the northern section of the city, near the city wall. Here the fused were visible, attacking the troops. A strange thumping started, and Adolin took it as another set of drums until a head crested the top of the wall nearest them. Storms! It had an enormous stone wedge of a face that reminded him of that of some great-shell beast— "'though its eyes were just red spots glowing from deep within. "'The monster pulled itself up by one arm. "'It didn't seem quite as tall as the city walls, "'but it was still enormous. "'Fused buzzed about, as it swatted along the wall, "'spraying defenders like kremlings, then smashed a guard tower. "'Adolin realized that he, along with much of their force, "'had stopped to stare at the daunting sight. "'The ground trembled as stones tumbled down a few blocks away, "'smashing into buildings.' Keep moving, Asher called. Storms, they're trying to get in and beat us to the palace. The monster ripped apart the guard tower, then with a casual flip, tossed a boulder the size of a horse toward them. Adolin gaped, feeling powerless as the rock inexorably hurtled toward him and the troops. Kaladin rose into the air on a streak of light. He hit the stone and rolled with it, twisting and tumbling in the air. His glow diminished severely. The boulder lurched. It somehow changed momentum, tossed away from Kaladin like a pebble flicked off the table. It crested the city wall, narrowly missing the monster that had thrown it. Adolin faintly heard Spren begin to scream, but that was drowned out by the sounds of rock falling and people on the streets shouting. Kaladin renewed himself with Stormlight from his pack. He was carrying most of the gemstones they'd brought from Eurythiru, a wealth from the Emerald Reserve to use in their mission and in opening the Oathgate. Drehi rose into the air beside him, then Scar, who had lashed Shallan upward as well. Adolin knew she was basically immortal, but it was still strange to see her here, on the front lines. We'll distract the fused, Kaladin shouted to Adolin, pointing at a group of figures flying through the air in their direction. And if we can, we'll seize the sunwalk. Get in through the palace and meet with us in the eastern gallery. They zipped off. In the near distance, the monster started pounding on the gates there, cracking and splintering the wood. Forward! Azure yelled. Adolin charged, running up beside Elicar and Azure. They reached the palace grounds and surged up the steps. At the top, soldiers in very similar uniforms, black and a darker blue, but still Colin, withdrew, shutting the palace's front doors. King's Guard! Adolin shouted, pointing at a group of men in red who had been designated as Elokar's honor guard. Be sure to watch the king's flanks as he cuts. Don't let the enemy strike at him as the door falls. Men crowded up the steps, taking positions along the front of the palace's front porch. They held spears, though some were light-eyed. Adolin, Azure, and Elokar each went to a separate door atop the steps. Here, the front of the palace roof, held up by thick columns, shielded them from the stones that the creature was flinging. Teeth gritted, Adolin rammed his blade into the crack between the thick wooden palace door and the wall. He swiped upward quickly, cutting through both hinges and the bar that had been thrown on the inside. After another slice down the other side freed the door, he stepped back into position. It fell inward with a crash. Immediately the enemy soldiers inside rammed spears outward, hoping to catch Adolin. He danced back and didn't dare swing. Wielding a shard blade with one hand was a challenge, even when you didn't have to worry about hitting your own men. He skipped to the side and let the wall guard attack the doorway. Adolin instead moved over beside a group of soldiers who had come with Highlord Euromil. Here, Adolin cut through a section of the wall, making an improvised doorway that the soldiers shoved open. He moved down the long porch, opening another, then a third. That done, he peeked in on Elokar, who had stepped through his felled door, and was now inside the palace. He swept about himself with his blade in a one-handed grip, shield held in the other. He opened a pocket in the enemy's soldiers, having killed dozens already. Careful, Elakar. Adolin thought. Remember, you don't have plate. Adolin pointed at a platoon of soldiers. Reinforce the king's guard and make sure he doesn't get overwhelmed. If he does, shout for me. They saluted and Adolin stepped back. Azure had cut down her door, but her shard blade wasn't as long as the other two. She was leading a more conservative attack, cutting the ends off spears as they rammed out toward her men. As he watched, she stabbed an enemy soldier who tried to push through. Remarkably, his eyes didn't burn, though his skin did go a strange ashen gray as he died. Blood of my father's, Adolin thought. What's wrong with her blade? Even with all the open doorways, getting into the palace was slow going. The men inside had formed shield wall rings around the doorways, and the fighting mostly happened with men using short spears to stab at each other. Some platoons of wall guard brought in longer pikes to break the ranks of defenders, preparing for a surge. You may never flank shielded a shard bearer, Adolin said to the nearest squad of soldiers. No, sir, said one of the men, but we've done the training. It'll have to do, Adolin said, taking his blade in two hands. I'm going in that center hole. Stay close and keep the spears off my sides. I'll be careful not to catch you in my sweeps. Yes, sir, their squad leader said. Adolin took a deep breath. Then approached the opening. The interior bristled with spears, like the proverbial white spine's den. At Adolin's instruction, a soldier on his side faced his men and did a countdown with one hand. As the last finger dropped, the soldiers at the doorway fell back. Adolin charged through into the palace entry hall, with its marble floors and high vaulted ceilings. The enemy thrust a dozen spears at him. He ducked low, taking a slice on the shoulder as he did a two handed sweep, cutting a group of soldiers at the knees. The enemy dropped, their legs ruined by the shard blade. Four men followed him in and raised shields at his sides. Adolin attacked forward, hacking the fronts off spears, cutting at hands. Storms, the many fought were too silent. They'd cry in pain if stabbed or grunt with exertion, but otherwise seemed muted, as if the darkness smothered their emotions. Adolin took his blade in an overhead grip and fell into stone stance, swiping down with precise cuts, felling man after man in a careful controlled set of strikes. His soldiers protected his flanks while the wide reach of the blade protected his front. Eyes burned. The shield line wavered. Fall back three steps, Adolin shouted to his men, then transitioned to wind stance and swept outward with wide flowing sweeps. In the passion and beauty of dueling, he sometimes forgot how terrible a weapon shard blades were. Here, as he rampaged among the faltering line, it was all too obvious. He killed eight men in a moment and completely destroyed the defensive line. Go! he shouted, pointing with his blade. Men surged through the doorway and seized the ground just inside the entry hall. Nearby, Elikar stood tall, his narrow shard blade glittering as he called commands. Soldiers fell, dying and cursing, the true sounds of battle, the price of conflict. The enemy finally broke, falling back through the entry hall, which was too large to hold, toward the narrower hallway leading to the eastern gallery. Pull out the wounded! Azure called, stepping in. Seventh Company, hold that far side of the room, make sure they don't try to rush back in. Third Company, sweep the wings and make sure there aren't any surprises. Curiously, Azure had removed her cloak and wrapped it half around her left arm. Adolin had never seen anything like it. Perhaps she was accustomed to fighting in plate. Adolin got some water, then let a surgeon bandage the shallow cut he'd taken. Though the depths of the palace felt like caverns, this entryway was glorious. Walls of marble, polished and reflective. Grand staircases and a bright red rug down the center. He'd burned that as a child once, playing with a candle. Cut-bandaged, he joined Azure, Elokar, and several of the High Lords who were studying the wide corridor that led to the Eastern Gallery. The enemy had formed an excellent shield wall here. They'd settled in, and men in the second rank had crossbows ready and waiting. "'That's going to be crimson to break,' Azure said. "'We'll fight for every inch,' Outside the crashing at the gate finally grew silent. They're in, Adolin guessed. That breach isn't far from here. High Lord Shade grunted. Maybe our enemies will turn against one another? Can we hope the Voidbringers and the Palace Guard will start fighting each other? No, Elakar said. The forces that have darkened the palace belong to the enemy who now fights quickly to reach us. They know the danger the Oath Gate presents. Agreed, Adolin said. This palace will soon be swarming with Parshman troops. Gather your men, Elokar said to the group. Azure has command of the assault. High Marshal, you must clear this hallway. One of the High Lords looked at the woman and cleared his throat, but then decided not to say anything. Grim, Azure commanded archers to use short bows to try to soften the enemy. But that shield wall was built to hold out against arrows, so Azure gave the order and her men advanced against the fortified enemy. Adelin looked away as the quarter became a meat grinder, crossbow bolts smacking against men in waves. The wall guard had shields too, but they had to risk advancing, and a crossbow could punch. Adolin had never been good at this part of battlefield fighting. Stormont, he wanted to be at the front, leading the charge. The rational part of him knew that would be stupid. You didn't risk your shardbearers in such a charge, not unless they had plate. Your Majesty, an officer called to Alucar, crossing the entryway. We found an oddity. Elokar nodded for Adolin to take care of it, and, glad for the distraction, he jogged over to meet up with the man. What? Closed door to the palace garrison, the man said. Rigged to lock from the outside. Curious. Adolin hiked after the man, passing an improvised triage station, where a couple of surgeons knelt among pain sprens, seeing to men who had been wounded in the initial assault. They'd be far busier once the push down the hallway was finished. To the west of the entryway was the palace garrison, a large housing for soldiers. A group of Azure's men were studying the door, which had indeed been rigged to lock shut from the outside with a metal bar. Judging from the splintered wood, whatever was inside had tried to get out. Open it, Adolin said, summoning his shard blade. The soldiers cautiously lifted aside the bar, then eased open the door, one holding out some spheres for light. They didn't find monsters, but a group of dirty men in palace guard uniforms. They had gathered at the noise outside, and at seeing Adolin, a few of them fell to their knees, letting out relieved praises to the Almighty. Your Highness, said a younger Alethi man with captain's knots on his shoulder. Oh, Prince Adolin, it is you. Or is this, is this somehow a cruel deception? It's me, Adolin said. Sidden. Stormsman, I barely recognize you through that beard. What happened? Sir, something's wrong with the Queen. First she killed that ardent, and then executed Brightlord Cavies. He took a deep breath. We're traitors, sir. She called the guard, sir, another man said. Locked us in here because we wouldn't obey. Practically forgot about us. Adolin breathed out a relieved sigh. The fact that the entire guard hadn't simply gone along with her... Well, it lifted a burden from his shoulders, one he hadn't realized he'd been carrying. We're taking back the palace, Aedlinn said. Gather your men, Sidon, and meet up with the surgeons in the main entryway. They'll look you over, get you some water, take your reports. Sir, Siddon said, if you're storming the palace, we want to join you. Many of the others nodded. Join us? You've been locked in here for weeks, men. I don't expect that you're fit for combat. Weeks? Siddon said. Surely it's only been a few days, Bright Lord. He scratched at a beard that seemed to argue with that sentiment. We've only eaten, what, three times since being thrown in here? Several of the others nodded. Take them to the surgeons, Adolin said to the scouts who had fetched him. But get spears for the ones who claim to be strong enough to hold them. Siddon, your men will be reserves. Don't push yourselves too hard. Back in the main entryway, Adolin passed a surgeon working on a man in a palace guard uniform. To the surgeons, it didn't matter if you were an enemy. They were helping any who needed their attention. That was fine, but this man stared up with glazed eyes and didn't cry or groan like a wounded man should. He only whispered to himself. I know him, too, Adolin realized, searching for the name. Dodd? That's it. That's what we called him, anyway. He reported to the king what he'd found. Ahead, Azure's men were making a final push to claim the hallway. They'd left dozens dying, staining the carpet a darker shade of red. Adolin had the distinct sense that he could hear something. Over the din of the fighting, over the shouts of men echoing against the walls. A quiet voice that somehow cut to his soul. Passion, sweet Passion. The palace guard finally relinquished the hallway, retreating through two sets of broad double doors at the other end. Those would lead to the eastern gallery. The doors weren't very defensible, but the enemy was obviously trying to buy as much time as possible. Some soldiers cleared bodies out of the way, preparing the way for Adolin and Elikar to cut down the doors. The wood, however, started shaking before they could strike. Adolin backed up, presenting his blade in wind stance by habit, ready to strike at what came through. The door opened revealing a glowing figure. Stormfather, Adolin whispered. Kaladin shone with a powerful brilliance, his eyes beacons of blue streaming with stormlight. He gripped a glowing metallic spear that was easily twelve feet long. Behind him, Scar and Drayhe also glowed brilliantly, looking little like the affable bridgemen who had protected Adolin on the shattered plains. The gallery is secure, Kaladin said, stormlight puffing from his lips. The enemy you pushed back has fled up the steps. Your Majesty, I suggest you send Azure's men onto the sunwalk to hold it. Adolin ducked into the eastern gallery, followed by a flood of soldiers, Azure calling commands. Straight ahead was the entrance to the sunwalk, an open-sided walkway. On it, Adolin was surprised to see not only guard corpses, but three prominent bodies in blue. Kaladin, Scar, Drehi. Illusions? Works better than fighting them off, Shallan said, stepping up to his side. The Flying Ones are distracted by the fighting at the city wall, so they left the moment they thought the bridgemen had fallen. We pushed another force of palace guards back into the monastery first, Caliban said, pointing. We're going to need an army to scrape them out. Azure looked to Elacar, who nodded, so she started giving the commands. Shalon clicked her tongue, prodding at Adolin's bandaged shoulder, but he assured her it was nothing serious. The king strode through the gallery, then looked up the broad stairs. Your Majesty, Kaladin called. I'm going to lead a force up to the royal chambers, Elakar said. Someone needs to find out what happened to Aesodan, what happened to this whole storming city. The glow faded from Kaladin's eyes, his stormlight running low. His clothing seemed to droop, his feet settling more solidly on the ground. He suddenly seemed a man again, and Adolin found that more relaxing. I'll go with him, Kaladin said softly to Adolin, handing him the pack of emeralds, after picking out two brilliant ones for himself. Take Scarndrehi and get Shalon to the Unmade. Sounds good, Adolin said. He picked out some soldiers to go with the king. A platoon from the Wall Guard, a handful of the armsmen the High Lords had brought. And, after some thought, he added Sidon and half a platoon of the men who had been imprisoned in the palace. Those troops refused the Queen's orders, Adolin said to Alucard, nodding to Sidon. They seem to have resisted the influence of whatever's going on in here, and they'll know the palace better than the wall guard. Excellent, Elokar said, then started up the steps. Don't wait for us. If Brightness Devar is successful, go right to Uethiru and bring our armies back. Adolin nodded, then gave Kaladin a quick salute, tapping his wrists together with hands and fists. The Bridge Four salute. Good luck, bridge boy. Kaladin smiled, his silvery spear vanishing as he gave the salute back, then hustled after the king. Adolin jogged over to Shalon, who was staring along the sunwalk. Azure had claimed it with her soldiers, but hadn't advanced onto the Earthgate platform beyond. Adolin rested his hand on Shalon's shoulder. They're there, she whispered. Two of them this time. Last night, Adolin, I had to run. The revel was getting inside my head. I've heard it, he said, resummoning his blade. We'll face it together, like last time. Shallan took a deep breath, then summoned Pattern as a shard blade. She held the blade before herself in a common stance. Good form, Adolin said. I had a good teacher. They advanced across the sunwalk, passing fallen enemy soldiers, and a single dead fused, pinned to a cleft in the rock by what appeared to be his own lance. Shallon lingered at the corpse, but Adelin pulled her along until they reached the monastery proper. Azure's soldiers advanced at his command, engaging palace guards here to secure a path toward the center. As they waited, Adolin stepped up to the edge of the plateau and surveyed the city, his home. It was falling. The nearest gate had been broken completely open, and Parshman flooded through it toward the palace. Others had taken the walls via ladder crews and those were pushing down into the city at other points, including near the palace gardens. That enormous stone monstrosity moved along the wall on the inside, reaching up and slapping at guard towers. A large group of people in varied costumes had surged down Talon Way, passing along one of the windblades. The Cult of Moments? He couldn't be certain what part they'd played, but Parshman were flooding the city in that direction as well. We can fix this, Adolin thought. We can bring our armies in, hold the palace hill, push back to the walls. They had dozens of Shardbearers. They had Bridge Four and other surge binders. They could save this city. He just needed to get them here. Soon, Azure approached with a platoon of thirty men. The pathway inward is secure, though a knot of the enemy still holds the very center. I've spared a few men to scour nearby buildings... It looks like the people you mentioned, the ones who were reveling last night, are slumbering inside. They don't move, even when we prod them. Adolin nodded, then led the way toward the center of the plateau, Shallan and Azure following. They passed battle lines of Azure's soldiers who were holding the streets. He soon saw the main force of the enemy collected on a path between monastery buildings, barring the way to the Oathgate's control building. Spurred by the urgency of Kolinar's predicament, Adolin took point and swept among the enemy, burning their eyes with his blade. He broke their line, though one straggler almost got in a lucky strike. Scar, fortunately, seemed to appear out of nowhere. The bridgeman caught the blow with his shield, then rammed a spear through the guardsman's chest. How many is that I owe you now? Adolin asked. I wouldn't think to keep count, Brightlord, Scar said with a grin, glowing light puffing from his lips. Drehi joined them, and they chased the routed enemy past the king's chapel, finally reaching the control building. Adolin had always known it as the Circle of Memories, merely another part of the monastery. As Shallan had warned, it was overgrown with a dark mass that pulsed and throbbed, like a pitch-black heart. Dark veins spread from it like roots pulsating in time with the heart. Storms, Drehi whispered. All right, Shallan said, walking forward. Guard this area. I'll see what I can do.